Welcome to episode 81. Today, Angela Groves and Susan England join us to share what they have learned from starting teacher collaboration from scratch. Welcome to the Teaching Multilingual Learners podcast. This podcast celebrates teachers who answer the calling to serve multilingual students and their families. Your beautiful smile, your beautiful life are waiting for you to shine bright. It's never too early or late to start to rise up and shine. Your beautiful smile, your beautiful life are waiting for you to shine bright. It's never too early or late to start to rise up and shine. Every cloud has. Every partnership has a story and lessons we can learn from the partnership. Elementary school teachers, Angela Groves and Susan England share how they moved from a pull-out model that blossomed into co-teaching, which then spread to other teachers in the school. This is the final episode where we case study a successful co-teaching relationship. Now, on to today's podcast. With us today are two of my friends from British Columbia, specifically Chilliwack, British Columbia. It's a little lovely rural town outside of amazing Vancouver. I had a chance to work with them in person to come to their school. It actually was one of my favorite professional learning experiences because it was a Saturday. There was a small group of us. And everybody brought food. So instead of having food catered, they all made food and they all brought food together. It was like Thanksgiving with professional learning. It was one of my favorite experiences. So Angela and Angela Groves and Susan England, they work together at the same school. And I've had them, I'm gonna have them on because I want them to share uh, their journey of, of collaboration and their journey of forming a partnership together because though their experiences, every person's experience is different, we can still take so much from their experience and say, oh, that gives me an idea of how to do this, or oh yeah, I could do that in my context, but I might have to change it. So Angela and Susan, thank you for sharing your time and your experience. Could you introduce yourself? Go ahead, Susan. <laughs> uh, I'm Susan England. I teach a two, three in Chilliwack, British Columbia. Um, I have an international background. I was born in Scotland and I was raised in Botswana and I moved here when I was 12. So I've experienced the language barrier from a different aspect because I was speaking proper English instead of Canadian English. Um, <laughs> so, and as many of my students will sometimes say to me, what did you just say? Because they're not 100% sure of the words that I use. So um, in my classroom, I, have, I, I work in a lower income school, and so we have s several hurdles that we have to, to pass on a daily basis. Uh, you know, hunger, tired kids, um, just the usual unfortunate things that come with poverty. And I was noticing that I have a lot of students who are behind language-wise. Now, my class has um, probably a third of my class is ELL students, and it was done intentionally so I could get more support from the language teacher in the school. But in saying that, 
it wasn't just my ELL students that needed support. I have a lot of students that need support. And this is where my collaboration with Angela came in. And I'll let you give your, her context to you, but together, I think we've been able to turn hers and mine into an ours, which is really working for our kids. <gasps> That's going to be the title of this podcast, Hers and Mine to Ours. <laughs> <laughs> well said, Susan. Uh, my name is Angela Groves. I'm Susan's ELL support teacher. I work in the school district. Uh, 33 that Susan School is in. I'm actually assigned to two schools, but the majority of my caseload is at um, the same school that Susan works in. I met Susan three years ago, uh, day one on this job. Prior to that, I had uh, worked as a support teacher a little bit in this district, but most of my teaching experience was actually in Louisiana. Um, I taught uh, grade two for six years there and kindergarten for two years. Uh, although I'm originally from Canada. And prior to that, before I actually qualified as a teacher, I did teach over, teach English overseas in Korea for a few years. That's what, that was my first experience with teaching. And it was from there that I decided to become a public school teacher. So you've worked together for three years. And I <laughs> wanted to go back to what Susan said about uh, intentional clustering. You said, uh, my class is intentionally a, a third of the students are, are language learners. We intentionally did that because that would mean we would have more support from the language teacher. If you're in the position of deciding where kids go, like I'm talking about principals, then cluster as much as possible. Notice how Susan's class is not 90% language learners. It's just 30%. It's just a third so that instead of Angela running to four teachers, she's running between two. This means Angela and Susan really see each other more often. And kids get to see Angela more often as well. And that didn't happen by accident or easily. This is the first year that that has happened. And that was something that I have been advocating for with the administration. And I have to give all credit to an administrator who's really open to new ideas. And, and worked with us uh, this year. Susan and I have been kind of discussing our journey and we sort of kind of break it up into the three years. Um, and the first year is everything that, you know, we didn't like about our assigned roles and how they had, uh, how we were practicing. We were following the, um, a pretty traditional model where uh, students are scattered all over the place. And so you, there isn't a lot that you can do with that other than start to train group students for support in terms of either by age or by need or, you know, what is it we're trying to help them with? It was um, a year of kind of figuring out what we didn't like. Susan and I just like, we just naturally get along really well. And circumstances were just such that we both had sons on the same soccer team and we got to know each other um, because it was always really cold and Susan had a blanket to sit on. So <laughs> that's how we got to know each other. And uh, by the end of that year, um, I had done PSYOP training and I asked Susan if I could uh, practice on her class a little bit. I was a former grade two teacher. It was a really natural fit. And uh, from there, we kind of really developed some models for year two which was our first experience with co-teaching. So I'm just gonna interrupt a little from my year one perspective. What mm -hmm. I saw was um, I had my kids 
in my classroom and I had kids that needed language support. And um, like Angela said, she would have to group her kids how she could and then she would have to pull small groups from each room because it was only one or two kids from my classroom and another classroom that needed that support. Um, and it was great because the kids were getting these strategies, but it was also not so great because the kids were missing other curriculum content that they needed. Um, and it was the practicing with their, their peers for math or for even just experiencing the science, but they were getting pulled for groups. And so Angela and I had this natural connection and we were talking about stuff and how we would like to see stuff. And in part of it, it was like, we don't know, this pulling of the kids and pulling them out of the classroom was quite difficult. So Angela is, was really open to it. I was seeing ideas she was doing with the kids she pulled out and our conversation went from there. And this is when, well, we went to year two as we call it. Okay, so for me, uh, year two, I wanted to try literacy circles. Again, I had taught grade two myself, and literacy circles were something that I had done a lot of uh, professional development around. In different roles, I had done it in different classes, and it was something that people really liked. In the previous year, I had also gone to um, just a literacy conference, and uh, Tim Brzezinski said something that really jumped out at me. He said that uh, vocabulary has to come from context immediately. If you can take your vocabulary out of a story, then, um, then it, it has immediate context um, instead of like writing down your definitions. So I thought, well, that would be great. You know, everybody does literacy. I mean, that's something that I'm good at. I have a background in and everybody does. So I'll see if anybody wants me to do a literacy circle. But instead of focusing it on um, maybe main idea or plot, I will focus it on vocabulary. And then uh, right around that, so I, I ran it past the coordinator I'm like is this acceptable ser service it was just different than what we were used to and she told me absolutely get in there work in the classrooms um and you know you have to have all these conversations am I allowed to work with kids that are not quotes on my caseload and again really supportive people around me saying of course you can you can work with everyone um and right around that time I saw Yutan for the first time at um, the, uh, the PSA in October of that year and you spoke a lot about um, tier two vocabulary and I'm like okay I'm not speaking any vocabulary now now I know what the ELLs really really need to hear it's the tier two vocabulary and so I started pushing in with um, a literacy circle method and um, we refined it throughout that year and layered in higher order thinking skills, turn and talk, um, and basically created um, a method that is a universal design for learning that has multiple access points for every student in that room. And so what we created, and, and Susan was great, it was, we would just kind of figure out what is the role for the other teacher. We would hammer out our roles, hammer out our, our goals together, because I knew what my language goals were, but the, it had to be purposeful for her entire class. So it had to also meet her curricular goals. Um, and we were able to create a method that is in itself a universal design for learning and is reaching everyone in the room. And we sim simply slot in new content every week. And once we had that kind of worked out, I was able to start bringing it to other teachers. So in that second year, I did literacy circles in a lot of classrooms. If I had one student in the room, I would offer to do a literacy circle rather than pull them out. Um, 
it meant I was spread pretty thin. I could only come to a person once a week, but at least I wasn't taking them away from what their teacher needed them to learn. There are so many things that I say, so, do you see my notebook? There are so many things <laughs> that I don't want to interrupt you and I'm waiting for the pause because I, I want to say like, if teachers don't or are, are not already, a, don't have teacher collaboration as a formal structure in their time timetable or their schedule, what they can do is think about the teacher that they already have a relationship with, that they can work with and they can say, hey, can I try this? Because that's what you said. You uh, Angela, you said you you went to go learn about PSYOP, which is another thing that I want to applaud you with, uh, for because you said you're growing your practice. Though you're, you're, you have a master's degree, you're experiencing this, you still were growing your practice. And then when you learned about PSYOP, you really wanted to apply this. And that's, what, that's, what I, that's another thing I want to applaud you with. And then you said, hey, it's not just for these kids, these language learners, it's for all kids. And so let me practice it. Let me work. Let me apply this with Susan's kids. And that's and then the last thing I want to say about your, your first year, which Susan really said was, every time Angela came and took kids out, they were getting language support, but they were also losing out on the lesson that they are being pulled out of. I think something else that's really cool about having Angela come in is there's a predictability about it. So we talk about that quite a lot with our kids, especially in um, schools where it's low income and there's trauma-based learning and stuff. Predictability is a key. And um, having Angela come into our classroom at a specific time each week or each day has the kids, they, they know what's happening. Whereas when kids are being pulled out, um, your lesson's not the same on a daily basis, uh, your lesson plan. So depending on which day they were getting pulled out, it could be something else that was, they, they, were, they were never sure of what, when they were being pulled out. So having them, Angela, come into my room, we set aside that time and it is a solid block of time where we are designated only for having our language support. There's nothing interferes with that because if I do plan something else, I'm wasting Angela's time. Um, and if she doesn't come, she's it's wasting my time. And so we would never do that to each other, which is means that the kids have this predictability that completely supports their learning. I love this. This is another reason why we have kids in the same room because that logistically it's better. You're saying, oh, okay, this particular block of time is only for language support and we're gonna do language in this time or focusing on language at that time. And I appreciate that because you were you were coordinating that with with Angela and you made it student focused. And you and when you did that, it was better for everybody, better for you, better for Angela, better for the kids. I would totally agree with that one. It, it, the kids know they get excited when Angela's coming in. <laughs> and then Angela gets to work with everybody. So so she so that shows that she is not just a teacher of language learners, she's a teacher of academic language, and everyone is a learner of academic language. They don't they don't even know who I'm there for. Yeah. They they don't know. They have no idea. Right. And that's what no. that's what co-teaching or teacher collaboration really looks like when kids are they're like, oh, it's another teacher. I'm not sure what what role she has, but it doesn't matter because she's a teacher. One or one or two points about just kind of practically how you how you make this work, because a lot of people have resistance uh, for different reasons for co-teaching, valid re resistance. Um, I knew as a former classroom teacher myself, um, 
I didn't always like having another teacher in the room, you know, um, especially if you don't have a trust relationship. Right. So one of the things that, that I did, first of all, to establish the relationship, because you're really, you're right, building the relationship is key and developing a sense of trust is key. Now, Susan and I are, are very close now, but I co-teach with, with lots of people that I'm not as close with now. Um, but she was my, my first co-teacher, so I, I got to try everything out with her. Um, one of the things that I learned, a way to gain access to, to get this, to me, um, vulnerability was key. Mm. Um, I, I know the concern when you have someone else in your classroom is that they may be judging your methods or um, whatever. There's there's a fear of exposure or judgment there. I certainly felt that as a classroom teacher. You know, like, am I performing for this other person in the room? Sometimes right. you feel like you are. Right. So I went in always basically like, here's a lesson in a box. Like, uh, do you want to sit back and watch me teach your class, you know, and make myself totally vulnerable saying, um, like, the kids who act up are going to act up for me you know, and I, I'm going to do it wrong and you can laugh at me, you know, and that's where I started. Like you just sit back and watch. And if it's something that you like, we will work out a co-teaching relationship around these literacy circles. And, um, that's always, that's where I start with everyone always. And then we carve out our individual roles. Um, so one of the things that, um, the, we teach together right away, if people like this, is we always scaffold turn and talks in, in the, um, the literacy circle. So that requires teachers popping around to help facilitate the conversations always. We don't just let them sit and turn and talk. We go around and help them do it. So uh, that's usually the first co-teaching um, point. And then ultimately, Susan and, and my co-teachers, they take over the charting. There are different roles that they take over. But we kind of co-plan the year, if you will, rather than the individual week. Once we have established a method, once we've established our goals, like for example, Susan and different teachers at different grade levels have given me a lot of input around what genres they want to want me to, to be bringing. But I then take the responsibility for the specific planning of that time so that it's not a no co-planning burden placed on the teacher. And that's just a method that works for us. And I think paired with Angela making herself self vulnerable, um, I had to come to a realization that I was going to be inert for a while, I guess would be a good word. Mm -hmm. I needed to sit back and allow Angela to teach without interfering, without uh, stepping in because I wasn't sure how the lesson was going. I had given her permission to plan this lesson. So I needed to take my part, which was to step back and allow her to teach it the way she was gonna teach it. So um, that took a lot, because when it's your classroom, mm -hmm. you want to be in charge and you want to be, you want to make sure that things are running the way you want them to. So I had to give myself permission to just sit. To um, let go and that was of control. Yeah, I'm like, what the principal walks in and I'm sitting in this chair and I'm not yeah. doing it. Um, in year three, the realization is I'm not sitting. I'm modeling to the students the behavior that they need to follow. Yes. So when Angela's doing something and I'm just sitting in as part of the circle, I'm quiet, I'm attentive, right. and that's what the students are modeling now. Right. So it, it took a right. while because I really right. did have to give myself permission to, to sit back, do nothing, let Angela take the reins. And as we started, um, 
as it started coming together, like Angela said, I would do the turn and talks. I would start the charting and we each started taking our roles and it would be a, it, it's now a fluid kind of break between who's doing what. And if one of us has to run out the room for something, the other one could just take over because it's such a routine that we flow easily back and forth between each other. Yes. yes. Yeah. When, one thing that was huge for me in, in year two is, is I really learned to bite my tongue. I, I would typically be someone in the past who would want to say, um, excuse me, I see you're grading papers while I'm teaching your class. And that's not really what I meant here by co-teaching. <laughs> and um, I learned to bite my tongue. I just learned that it was better to just sit and allow the relationship to develop and see where it was going. I had people say to me later, I'm so sorry. I had to mark something that the principal wanted something desperately had to be in right away. They knew perfectly well that it wasn't um, co-teaching um, and something exceptional was happening. And in other cases, people just kind of slowly came around to what we were doing and they found different roles for themselves. And some people didn't. And in that case, we just didn't really work together that way in the future. But it, it takes patience. It's sort of organic and, and, and tolerance as well. You have to just give it a bit of time. Right. I just wrote down so many things, but the main part when you were just talking uh, right now, Angela, it's, it's about biting your tongue mm -hmm. and uh, making sure that in every single moment that you awaken compassion at that moment. As a Buddhist, that's yes. what, what's, what, what's like our mantra. We, we say, when, yeah. we, when I wanna write that email and click send, I always say, uh, may compassion awaken in this moment and I don't click send. That's how you build a relationship because every interaction is either a withdrawal from a relationship or a deposit into a partnership. And so we have to be super careful that every interaction as much as possible be positive, be depositing more than withdrawing. And I also, there were two things I wanted to note about resistance. If you are working in a, in a assigned relationship where there is resistance, then there are two things I recommend. One, co-plan with the teacher. And during your co-planning time, uh, you can say, which part of this do you want me to take up? Which part do you want me to lead? Do you want to lead this all? Do you want me to lead the beginning, middle, end? Or do you want me to, do you want to do it all? Because as if, even if they do it all and you're charting, like what Susan was doing, charting what they're saying, that's still co-teaching because co-teaching is not the place you stand in the room. It's the service you provide with, for kids. Another interesting thing that happened in year two is, uh, you mentioned SIOP earlier, is that, um, Two teachers, Susan and, and uh, another teacher that was kind of my number two, my second co-teacher, um, they got an opportunity to do PSYOP as well. Um, that uh, PSYOP was brought to the, the district. And uh, both teachers very clearly said that they, they identified as classroom teachers and they, they didn't have an urge to become ELL support teachers, but they wanted to be really good ELL classroom teachers. And so Susan got the opportunity to do PSYOP. It's so nice then that we get to have the same language. Yes, yes. But another thing on that one is because it was two of us who did it, two classroom teachers who did it, um, and we came away with um, lots of tips and hints and, and the language that was now paired to what Angela was talking about when she was talking as a whole, um, we have learning time in all our staff meetings each month. 
And so after we did the PSYOP training, the other teacher and I took that learning opportunity and we taught the rest of our staff that same language. So we didn't stop, like Angela walks into our room with PSYOP and we didn't say, oh, that's great, just tell me something, I, I'll, I'll do it. We were as enthusiastic as, as she was. So we took that training when we had that opportunity and we felt um, passionate enough about it that we wanted to share it with our staff. And I think it really helped contribute to this sense of teamwork and it helped with the co-teaching because when we got the, in front of the rest of our, our classroom teachers and we're like, look, you can use this. It'll help build language. It's a little hint. Um, it's, you know, a tiny step on top of what we're already doing. We just need to do this one more step and we'll reach those students that have a language barrier. Um, and we were able to bring that through to the whole school, our whole teaching staff. So when this third year rolls around and Angela's like, I want to try this, we had a lot more people who were open to the idea because it's seen Angela working in our rooms and seen it working. They've experienced our enthusiasm for, for passing on some of what we'd already learned. So I think it was awesome to be given that opportunity and then to be able to spread it even further. And importantly, that's the context at which then I'm approaching the admin saying, um, can you please dedicate classes at each level for, for your ELL students and concentrate, concentrate them together in one room? So I'm no longer just kind of this guest in the building who's advocating that they flip all of their class composition around my goals. Uh, the administrator was able to uh, see that uh, Susan and Let's shout out to Letitia. Letitia's the other one. She's on um, Matt leave. She was our four or five teacher. Uh, Letitia and Susan had been bringing their uh, their PSYOP training and their enthusiasm for the work and the co-teaching to their own staff meeting. And so at the end of year two, um, I had uh, an admin who was really ready to hear uh, my request that they dedicate um, a K, a one, a two, a three, and a four or five all as um, ELL classes, and they did it. So year three, I walk into now five core teachers that I work with instead of, um, goodness, I think it was 10 or 11 the first year in it's that not building. not manageable, so, right? That's not yeah. sustainable. And what I said is, is if you can concentrate your students, I can concentrate support. Right. And so I will not be there one day a week. I will be there three. And, um, two with the, with the littler ones, but, but three with the older ones. And what was amazing is, unbeknownst to me, um, the staff teachers requested that their team time, their sort of PLC time, um, be arranged around the ELL teachers as well. So I walked into a year three, not only with a, you know, a team of ELL co-teachers, but with dedicated team time as well to reflect and plan together. Or does that mean so? What does that mean? You have dedicated team time to co-plan. Yeah, what it is the the school had in the past divided in terms of um, primary and intermediate. Uh, they had split into two teams, and in this case, now we're doing ELL as one of the teams, and and uh, there's a different focus for the other team. But um, part of the Canadian curriculum is uh, DPA. I don't I can't remember if we had it in the U.S. or not. Daily physical activity, so just minutes of activity. So um, at at uh, the school that Susan and I work at, and it's not true of all schools, but uh, in this one, the admin take half the school and run them around outside, outside and do different exercises so the teachers can meet together for 45 minutes. 
So this falls under the, the RTI model, so the response to intervention model. And so our principal is very big on that. She wants to respond in the best way she can. And she feels that having the team time for us to collaborate um, instead of being in individual classrooms, um, she wants to give us that time so that we can reflect and discuss. And she has been so impressed this year with how our ELL group has been working that um, she's been willing to video it and share it with other admin how, oh, yes. how we get to reflect. Because I think when we look at year one, Angela was pulling kids out. Um, she was talking to some of, you know, we were talking with teachers about, oh, what can I do for this kid, that kid? And we were starting to see something developing. Last year, Angela was in my classroom one day a week um, and more teachers were starting to pay attention and we would talk quite a bit about what worked, what more could we do? How could I expand the lessons she gave me? How could I make it more? And then this year we've got the more. In fact, we've mm -hmm. got a before, we've got the original lesson and we've got an after that has given it a huge more that allows me to continue on the days Angela's not in my room. And then when we have our team time, our RTI time, we get all the grades from K all the way up to five that are, have that ELL focus, all of us get together. And Angela calls it pollinating, which I love. <laughs> so she pollinates all our classrooms. She goes in and she sees things and she brings it back and she facilitates team time. So Angela's not there to run team time. She just comes in with a list and says, okay, this is for, ask the question. And then we kind of run with it as we reflect on stuff. So we can have um, the grade five teacher had an idea that she was going to do as a year end project. So sad it's not happening, but a year end project that she was going to do with the kids. And the kindergarten teacher automatically said, can they come and read it in my room? Because we'd like to participate for the kids to see how this looks in grade five. And I thought about what Angela said they were going to work on. Uh, breaking it down into paragraph form. And I thought, my kids aren't there, but my kids can do sentences. So already a grade five idea has been adapted for grade two, three, and has been adapted for kindergarten. So that reflection time is amazing. There are two things I wanted to share when you were talking. Like the first one is that start with one. And that's what you and Angela did. You started with, so Angela started with you and worked and you you worked with her and just devoted to that one relationship because when you devoted and nurtured that little seed, it blossomed and other teachers started seeing that. And then other administrators started seeing that. And I think some teachers don't believe until they see. When they see it working, they're like, okay, so that's what you mean? I could do that. And then that, that then it then it inspired other teachers to do that. And then your principals, your principal saw it. And that's now inspiring her to say like, yes, this is a model that's working in our school and your school is very high need, right? Like yes, high need, like and really impoverished, yes. But yet, and then your principal is saying, is now taking that, videotaping it and sharing with other principals. It's the same thing how you were, you and Angela started modeling successful relation, uh, partnership for other teachers in your school. Now the principal is now modeling that for her school and sharing with the other administrators in the district. And it's the same thing, what a great idea. The second thing I wanna talk about is that you cannot authentically co-teach if you don't have designated co-planning time. 
if you don't have like the designated co-planning time, what happens is you go into the co-teaching time, you're trying to figure out in five minutes what to do. And that depth of learning, that depth of co-planning in the moment, really rushed, doesn't really support to greater depths learning and, uh, and, and uh, relationship building. It's more like an aid. But when you have co-planning time, you become an equal designer of instruction. I think one of the, the nicest things um, about having Angela in the room is that we have built a structure so the kids know what's happening Monday. On Monday, we come in, we build a word bank from a picture that is um, related to the story we're reading the next day. And so we make this prediction. Um, and then the next day is the story. And Angela takes the story and Angela breaks it down. So we have natural pauses. We have, we have words. Um, maybe you'd like to explain more about your process there, Angela. But mm -hmm. Angela does that. And then the next day, it's the same structure every single day. And the content, as a classroom teacher, I'm not running around finding the books. And this is where it does help considerably because Angela has this plan. She gets the book and she does all the work for me. But because I know exactly where it fits in, we are not doing that foot shuffle around of who's doing what and what's happening. It's such a structure that we know it all. I don't know what book Angela's bringing in. I haven't read the book Angela's bringing in, but because Angela's got it as on this routine and this path and this structure, it doesn't matter that I don't know that book. Um, and as part of our planning, I can say to Angela, look, this is my curriculum. I need to do First Nation content this year for my social studies. Mm -hmm. These are what I, my language goals I need to do. I need to talk about features of text. I need to talk about um, setting and genre. And, and Angela goes and she makes sure the story she chooses matches that. So I'm no longer just giving away a block. Angela's helping me plan and, and bring in something that is curriculum and content related that I can actually assess my students on, which is pretty happy. For anyone who is considering working this way, uh, the most important thing to my mind would be to design a lesson that can be repeated all the time, just with new content inserted. And that's, we began with the literacy circle. We now have um, a prediction day and a reteach day as well. But these, we're not reinventing the wheel every week. What I did, took on as the ELL teachers, I created year plans for that time. And then um, in September, when my time is more flexible before I start direct service, I was going around to the classroom teachers saying, what do you think about this genre? And we were refining, or this method or this goal, we were refining that at the beginning of the year. And the, the rest of the year is just implementation. So in, in my role, in now working with this team, I actually designed um, K1 plan, plans, two and three plans, and then four or five plans. So three kind of, they, they shift subtly at each level. Um, but, um, and then now I'm planning um, 
prediction day. So uh, I was really impacted with uh, Carol Selva this year and her co-created text. So that's when when we're, um, I take a picture from the story that I'm going to bring on Tuesday for the Lit Circle. And we do a a poem and and, um, make some predictions, get around and talk. And then we write a co-created text from there. And the teachers work with that co-created text without me all week. We leave it there. So the work we do together continues on when I'm not there. And so what we've kind of found as a takeaway from this is that like in an ideal world, we all know that uh, student teacher ratio, it has the greatest impact, right? And in a, in a dream world, we just have twice as many teachers and half as many students and we'd all be teaching like 12 to one, it'd be perfect. Uh, but since we can't do that, uh, what you can do with a support teacher is you're not there all day, but you're there at these higher order thinking moments at these key instructional times, right? So when we're doing literacy circle, when I'm asking students to uh, try and evaluate for, for meaning, at that point, we've got double the teachers in the room. So we now have a student teacher ratio of 12 to one instead of 24 to one just for that block. I'm not there during silent reading. I'm not there during uh, center time or ADST or whatever. But at these moments um, where it's really beneficial uh, to have a lower student-teacher ratio, that's when I'm there. And this connects to something even bigger. It's called high-impact co-planning. You don't have to co-plan to get... Co-planning time is the most precious time and has the highest impact. So therefore, you need to not plan the small little grains of sand we need to plan the big boulders in a, that's going to hold and anchor down our unit for the year. Nice. And that's what yeah. you were saying. Like, mm-hmm. okay, we're going to work on expository text in this unit. Or this unit, we're going to work on narrative writing. That's everything, all the planning that's going to go during that time is going to focus on narrative writing and not just, okay, for this lesson, who's going to go first? Or what organizer is or, or let's co-create a graphic organizer. Let's look at let's look at the PowerPoint or the presentation. Let's what, what color should we change the theme? No, don't co-plan these things. That's during your personal co-planning. That's that's during your personal prep time. When you come together, plan the big things like you were saying: the assessments, the rubrics, the writing genre. That's what you said specifically, Angela. Like, what's the writing genre for grade five in this unit? Mm-hmm. Grade three, grade four. And when we do that, we make co-planning optimize and maximize because then we can really focus on the assessment and what kids are doing for the entire unit. Because if you're just planning or co-planning for one lesson, that is great for that, just that one lesson. But but when you co-plan for a whole unit, even even if Angela is not there in Susan's room, the co-planning that happened is still being used during the co-teach during the teaching time when Angela's not in Susan's room. Mm-hmm. It's like really lasting, like long lasting. It is, and I, I think something that I'm noticing for my kids, because we did get to experiment a little bit with Angela last year, and then to have her come in the three days a week this year, um, the kids know the routine. The kids know the language already. Um, I'm really looking forward to next year when I get the students who are in the lower grade coming up to me um, because they have had that opportunity. They should be doing on their second or third year now doing this. Um, The same when my students pass on to Letitia, who's going to be the next for their grade four year, 
Letitia's done this for two years as well. So I'm really looking forward to see how much more content and how much more we advance them because we don't have to teach method again. Yes. Because a method is staying the same. Right. Um, it's something that's becoming almost universal in our school. Right. We we talk about it to teachers who aren't part of our ELL group. And those teachers are picking up our language. So I'm really excited to see what the next couple of years bring because our students are going to be working on the third or the fourth year of practicing the same method um, and to see how, how far they advance. So looking at the the advance the the advancements of my ELL students is fantastic but i have a student in my class who read really low last year she came to me um, i don't know if you do pm benchmarks but she came to me at a really at a pm 4 and she went to a 5 with all the support we gave her last year and small reading groups pullouts people reading with her she moved once 1 pm last year um, I tested her just before spring break and she's moved for this year already. Now, this is a student who is at 50% attendance. Oh. She doesn't come on a regular basis. She's got low language skills. She's She doesn't have any beha uh, behavioral problems. She wants to be there. She wants to learn. She just doesn't get there. Um, but she can come into our groups and she just slides in because the method is familiar. So she can catch on if she can miss Monday or she can miss Wednesday. Um, she can maybe make one of them that week, but she's able to catch on because she's familiar with the method. And I would definitely contribute it to our co-teaching method. I would definitely contribute it to our time that has a set method, um, a set routine. She knows um, she can watch Angela and I modeling the behavior that's expected. Um, we, we often model, is this the right word? How do we say this? We, we model through how we talk to each other, how the kids should be communicating. And I would swear that this is what's helped this student advance where wow. she's at. Wow. You can see her using methods we use. So when we do a word bank, we get the kids to stretch out words. What's the first sound? And I'm watching at her desk as she's reading to herself and she's stretching out words. She's looking for the first sound. So what we're doing is reflecting in the learning I'm seeing in my kids. And it's really exciting. And what you're saying is your lit, your lit circle time is, is possible because you have designated time with Angela. And that's yes. possible because of clustering. Instead of Angela running around to the 11 teachers, She's now running around to five and she's working with them during a designated time because now you, she's organizing and she's structuring and she's supporting you with that structure because there's time. And this is why I would say principles as much as possible, please con consider that intentional clustering can really support co-planning and co-teaching. And this is the result when, when we have that designated time. So one thing I think Angela and I have talked about quite often is, our goal is the same. Our goal is language acquisition for our students. Um, our purpose for co-teaching is slightly different. So Angela's purpose is to support ELL students. She's a specialty teacher. That's what she's there for. Um, my purpose for allowing and welcoming Angela into my room and, and supporting this is language acquisition for my low readers. So I'm not just necessarily thinking of my ELL students. I'm thinking and I'm looking at my whole class and I'm thinking the structures there, the, the supports there, um, 
like Angela said, the ratio of teacher to student now reduces the experience in the room doubles. There's so many things about having Angela. So my purpose is different than Angela's, but our goal is exactly the same. And so I would say you don't have to have the same purpose for having your co-teacher in the room, but if you have a uniform goal, it is definitely something you can work towards and make successful. Another kind of interesting thing that's happened out of this as well, and I know the concern that people have when they're clustering is that it's a step backwards, right? That it's a, a move towards um, like... Segregated learning, yes. That's what yeah. they say. Yeah, tracking. They say it's, it looks like tracking. That, that's the concern, right? right? That, that, that we're moving backwards. And what we found is it's, it's completely the opposite. Um, there's something that's, that seems to be happening sort of organically, and I call it the, the breaking down of the walls, like we're losing the classroom walls, in that um, when we do get a chance to meet as a team, it's a vertical team, K through five, right, the ELL team, sometimes what we're finding is that um, students are better suited in a different room for a lesson, for a lesson and we've started to share students. Um, for example, I have uh, one student in, in grade four, um, very new to Canada, very new to, to language, and we find by lunch with all the best scaffolds in the world, she, she's burnt out. She's out of her limited mental capacity. She's done. And, um, and I'm also noticing just being, you know, 10 years old, she's afraid to speak. Yes. She's mouthing a lot of words. And so we decided she should go to kindergarten. She can help in kindergarten. Um, in the ELL uh, team, where a classroom that, that I work in, um, and she's the helper down there, and she's more comfortable to speak there. She goes there in the afternoons. Right. And so we can kind of troubleshoot these things as a team. Um, um, Almost always when we get a new student, they're able to place an ELL student in the correct room. But once in a while, um, you find someone a bit late or, or it just didn't work for whatever reason. And um, teachers are happy to share those students. They will um, come across the hall. And, the, and Susan's got a number of, of extra kids in the room that aren't actually on her class list um, that come for different reasons. The, there's an ELL girl that, uh, like I said, just got placed in a different class, but she comes over three times a week during these classes. Um, and uh, there's another girl as well that um, has an intellectual disability and struggles in um, I believe she's in grade five, but um, she she slides happily into this. So not only are we sharing ELL students, we're helping them go, um, we're breaking down all the walls of these classrooms so they can go where they need. We're also now at the point, and, and I think Susan and I would really want everyone to know that we're not claiming to be experts. We're right in this. We're figuring it out, you know, and um, um, what we're seeing is that this translates as well to offering inclusion to special needs kids as well. Yes. Um, that um, we're finding that we're be able to be more inclusive with all kinds of complex needs, not just ELL as well. This is so, that was a really a beautiful example of how uh, because of your teaching collaboration, your partnership, mm -hmm. You're able to bring in. You're you're able to think outside the box of just now working with language learners. You're really helping in creating inclusion, inclusive learning, equitable learning for all kids. And, and now you're talking about kids who are duly identified with special needs. Yes. Yes. What does year three look like? Well, year three just got really interrupted with COVID nineteen. <laughs> 
Well, I've actually been thinking about it because we're trying to plan from teaching for home, which is something that we haven't done. Um, however, um, I am loving this idea of continuing my word bank and my prediction day. It is a picture and it is a structure that my students know because we have used it quite a bit throughout the year. So I'm thinking that if, if, if it's one of those things I can implement, I would love it. Um, and then to have this, it gives the students the opportunity to write, it gets them to use words, like, to, to build vocabulary. Um, and then we'll see where that goes. If we're lucky, we might get the story included in it. But even without having our lit circle time, the structure that we have done so far will allow the students to continue with their vocabulary learning. It will allow them to continue with their writing. Um, so as a classroom teacher, I'm looking for sentence structure and what have you. This will allow it because it's familiar to them. Um, what I do know is that year four, when we are back to semi-normal or back <laughs> in our schools as a group, what I do know is that we will continue with this because our principals on board and the, the, the nice thing about this is even if our administration changes as it, it does happen, we have a staff that doesn't want this to change. You have a culture. You're liking this. Yes. So even with a new admin coming in, this is, this is something that we have our ELL group will fight for because yes. we have seen it working. We know it's going to do good for the school. Um, so I'm looking forward to year four because I'm looking forward to those kids coming up that have already been doing it for two or three years. This is a method that, you know, it's going to be tweaked because of our teaching at ho from home. But I think year four is going to be really super exciting uh, because we're just going to continue with it. Right. And I hope... I think Go ahead, Angela. Okay, I think year three, uh, there's an awareness that uh, while we are growing roots, our roots are shallow, and that it requires continued advocacy for um, our program and, and um, continued growth. Um, like you said, a culture. We're building a culture yes. in the school. Yes. Something that is starting was starting to happen just before the break, and I think will my guess would be will typify year four, is that. People outside of our school are asking about what we're doing. We're being asked to share. We um, we have teachers coming from other schools to come watch what we're doing. We have uh, people who've asked to come videotape what we're doing so that they can bring this to other schools. I've been asked to facilitate some after-school learning series around the methods that we're using. So we're sharing what we're doing now beyond the four walls of our building. Now and you're going to do it internationally with this podcast. <laughs> So not just in Canada, not just in Chilliwack. And that's why I, because when I saw you interact with, together, when I was at your school facilitating professional learning, I was like, they got something going on. Let me let me ask if they want to share their experience. And when I heard that you were together three years, I'm like, mm, okay, there's definitely a story there that we can learn from. I, I wanted to say that I hope that in year three, even with, with school force closures because of COVID-19, that you still continue to collaborate online. And I recommend teachers that do not give up co-planning time with your with your colleagues as much as possible. Co-plan and co-teach because next because right. for me I'm doing the same thing. I'm co-planning with my teachers twice a week, at, mm -hmm. from one to two, and we make that like a, an established time. Let's end with this. Uh, what are your take after three years of work together? What is your biggest takeaway about teacher collaboration? I would say for me, it's if you're willing to build relationships, it'll work. 
if if you're willing to go in and whether Angela and I were lucky, it, we were started with our kids soccer team. But Angela's built relationships with people she does has no contact with outside of school. So if you're willing to build relationships, you can make this work. Yes. Yes. I think um, for me, my take with working this way, to me, it feels like as teachers, it's the highest form of our art. Yes. It's not easy. No. It, it, it definitely takes patience. It definitely takes time. But when it works, it's beautiful. Yes. I mean, I am I am close to 20 years now teaching, and this is the most exciting year of my career. Yes. And it really. And I'm excited every day to get up and go, and, and go to work, and, and I can hardly sleep with it sometimes. Like, it's it's amazing. So if you're considering it, it's going to be messy. It'll be painful, but it is amazing. Just jump in and try. I just want to make sure everyone um, – knows how much I appreciate Susan and my other co-teachers. I have tried this with other people. They don't all want to do it. And it's not, um, it's, it's not necessarily typical to find this many people who, who want to work together. Yes. Uh, we do work in um, a particularly um, impoverished school, a, a difficult place mm -hmm. to work. It is the most exciting place to work because the people who work there are incredibly open right. to right. to working together. Right. Um, I feel like I work at a lab school and that yeah. is entirely um, about um, the teachers who are willing to work with me. Because so. of the relationship. And Angela, because you've made it fun and non-threatening to work with you. I'm, I'm sure Susan would say that. I would definitely say that there's no pressure yes. having Angela in my room. Right. There's no evaluation. There's no criticism. She's always depositing into the relationship bank. Right. Exactly. Okay. Let's end this podcast this way. It's called traffic light teaching. Red okay. is something that you recommend teachers stop doing. Yellow is something that you recommend teachers start to slow down or question about their practice. And green is something that you recommend teachers do as much as possible. So you can, um, you can decide how you want to do this. What are your red, yellow, and green lights? So red would be for myself, so Su Susan. So red would be stop closing your door. Um, open your door, allow people to come in. Um, we're always saying that we're, we should be continuously learning. Having an open door really helps that. Um, yellow would be to slow down, let the process happen because there's a lot of teachers out there who are wanting to try stuff. They go to these pro Ds, they get these amazing ideas and they try to implement it. You need to give it time. Yes. So slow down, yes. allow yourself time yes. to try something, allow your, I mean, we're on year three and it's amazing, right? That's three years we've been trying. Yes. Um, and then the green would definitely, definitely be try it and allow yourself to make the mistakes. Well, that was brilliant, Susan. I'll try and follow that one. Um, <laughs> so I'll try to speak, I guess, from my perspective as the specialist teacher. Um, uh, so stop. And again, for, from my point of view, something that I would have done, stop maybe speaking and start listening. That was the bite your tongue thing for me. Stop telling your truth or um, stop going in with an agenda, right? Like just stop and listen and, and see see what's needed, see, see where there are holes, see where there are opportunities. So kind of stop speaking and start listening. Um, yellow, um, shoot, I had, oh, slow down. Slow down on, um, 
on doing pull-out service. Yes. Just, you know, like there are times and place for it, but, but, but yellow, consider it, consider the impact on it, consider um, um, what they're losing by coming with you and to, just consider it. Um, and green, go with your strengths. Go, uh, I went with literacy circle because literacy is my background. That, that's what I'm good at. So what you're good at, um, go with that, go with that strength and offer that to someone. I also want to talk about your red, uh, Angela, you said, stop talking. And I said, mm -hmm. yes, because it was like, I, I'm translating this as stop trying to give advice. Like that's not our first thing that we need to do as language specialists. We need to make sure we just listen and find ways to help their that our co our co-teacher get to where they want to go with their kids. And then there's language in that, just making sure that we're not trying to give advice all the time. We listen right. first. And when advice comes up, then we share it when, when possible. But we need to be a sounding board and a mirror for what for what teachers are looking for. So what a beautiful podcast. What a sorry, episode. What a thank you for sharing your time. I know teachers around the world are going to love this episode. You've given us such such clear advice and your and you really gave us a window into your partnership so thank you so much for this thank you for inviting us thank you john before we recap this episode i have a favor and an invitation my favor is to ask you to please review this podcast if you found it valuable so that teachers like you become inspired and informed in their advocacy work. My invitation is for you to enroll in my scaffolding learning or teacher collaboration courses. I've taken the principles that I've learned from experts in the field. I've applied them to my classes. I kept the things that worked and I'm sharing all of them in these courses. I hope you consider enrolling. Now, onto our recap. Several ideas stuck out from this conversation with Susan and Angela. I want to highlight a few. First, please consider clustering a small group of students to increase the amount of time the language specialist can come to support students. Really, I'm speaking to administrators. This is the line that I want you to use with your administrators. Clustering is not tracking as it is the least restrictive environment for students to have the most time with the language specialist. We have to convince them to move to a clustering model. It doesn't mean 90, 100, or even 50% of the class are language learners. It just means more than just one or two. Angela said it best. If students are concentrated in a room, I can concentrate my support. Also notice how the relationship started out of frustration of a pullout model, causing students to lose out on what others were doing. They had a conversation and because they already had a positive relationship, Angela wanted to use that opportunity to try some PSYOP strategies for all students. Because Angela and Susan already had a positive collegiate relationship and they shared their bonding experience as mothers, Angela took it to the next step. She walked through the open door to see if Susan was okay with trying some PSYOP strategies with all students. 
not waiting for doors to open. I think that's the key. Don't wait for someone to roll out the red carpet to that open door for co-teaching. When you see a door slightly open, that's an opportunity right there. Their story brings me back to the quote. We are 50% of the relationship where we must walk through 100% of the doors. When Susan expressed her frustration with the pullout model, this was a door that Angela was ready to walk through. We are lucky if we have teachers at a school who are flexible and open-minded like Susan. These teachers pave the way or create the environment where collaboration can thrive. If you don't have a Susan at your school, you can be an Angela by constantly being positive, affirming, and creating conditions for growth, but always keeping an eye for an open door or the opening of a shut door. There's a blog post that accompanies this podcast. If you'd like to read the blog post, please go to my website. The link to the blog post will also be in the show notes. In the next episode, we'll have Dr. Greg McClure and Dr. Melissa Kanman talk about the article called Pushing Back Against Pushing, ESL Teacher Resistance and the Complexities of Co-Teaching. Thank you for listening. I'll see you soon. Be safe and be rooted in peace. It's your turn to play Traffic Light Teaching. Tweet at me either your red, yellow, or green light from this particular episode. Your beautiful smile, your beautiful life are waiting for you to shine bright. It's never too early or late to start to rise up and shine. Never do.